we saw Lot had separated himself from Abram to head off into the Jordan Valley and down to the area of Sodom. After some leadership failure by Abram, Lot was out looking for greener grass or basically just an easier way. And as we're going to read, Sodom was not really the place to go. Abram, with his head down from his failure, has God lift up his chin and he says, look up and look at all that I've given you. And he blesses him even through his failure. And we talk about how many times we as people get stuck in the now crisis that we have going on in our lives that, that we tend to miss the blessings and, and the gifts that God gives us that, that are right there in front of our, our, right in front of our faces. So God showed Abram his grace and his love and that that overcomes Abram's sin or his transgressions. So he showed Abram the grace to move forward. And that's the same grace that he shows all of us. This week we're going to read that as Lot thought he was going to his own place to kind of get away from Abram and, and the famine and the trouble that Abram's leadership brought, he quickly realizes that when, when God has laid out a plan for you, it's better to stay on that path than to make your own. And the reality is we, we all probably would have done what Lot did. And, I mean, when we think about it, how could you trust a man who is willing to give up his own wife just to save his bacon? And in the back of your mind, you're always going to be thinking to yourself, you know, would he, would he sell me out too? So the reality is when we look at this story between Lot and Abram and the transgressions that happened here, the thing that we always need to remember is that it's not about following Abram. It's about following God. And how, how, do, we, how do we faithfully follow what God has for us, even in the wake of all the things that are going on around us? David, can you turn me down just a hair more, please? Well, if you... No, it doesn't have anything to do with that. So, if you would, let's, let's stand up. I... Te- I, I titled this message, Caught in the Middle. And you'll see as we go through why, but let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to go through, I'm going to try my best to pronounce all these words. I did, I did read them. Um, and we're going to read all of chapter 14. So let's, let's do that. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, Ketalamer, king of Elam, and title king of Goim. These kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemaber, king of Zub- Zuboim, and the king of Bela, which that is Zorah. And all of these joined forces in the, in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Ketalamer. But in the 13th year, they rebelled. In the 14th year of Ketalamer, and the kings who were with him came and defeated Rephaim in the Ashtaroth Karanim, 
and Zuzim in Ham, and Emim in Shavuot-Kirathayim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran and the border of the wilderness. They turned back and came to El Mishpat, El Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Malachites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zoboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zohar, went out. Battle in the valley of Siddim with Ketelamer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goan, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all their possessions, all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their provisions, and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions, and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, they led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen, lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After the return... From the defeat of Ketelamer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, the God Most High, or by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything, and the king of Sodom and said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap of anything that is yours, lest you say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eskol, and Mamre take their share. Amen. Lord, we just, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for making, I just pray, Lord, that you would make it all make sense to us. Why we read this, the, the purpose, what it means to us, Lord, the application. Open our eyes to it today, Lord, and I just thank you, and we just lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So our three parts today are rebellion and war, rescued, and the tithe. And, and let's start off with, this is kind of confusing, right? There's, there's a whole lot of kings doing this and kings doing that, and, and I want to try and straighten out what's happening to you, for you here. You have in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, as your beginning. So basically, this is kind of a timeline reference, but you need to understand who, who this is and why this happened. Amraphel, 
from historical positions is debated as to who this is. They attribute him to different persons in the Bible, and, and nobody really agrees on this guy. But let's go back to our favorite rabbinical, traditional expo exposition, the Midrash. And in there, they claim it's Nimrod, okay? Which totally makes sense because Nimrod, as we had just read in previous chapters, he was the king of that area. And there's nothing that says that Nimrod was no longer the king. So they just kind of went with that. He had dealt in the area, um, he had dwelt in the area of Babel. And here he renewed his reign um, over the rest of his subjects. And basically, here's, here's what the Safar Ha Yashar number 11. Anybody read that? No? None of you? Um, it says, And Nimrod dwelt in Babel, and here he reigned. He renewed his reign over the rest of his subjects, and he reigned securely. And the subjects and princes of Nimrod called his name Amraphel, saying that the tower saying that at the tower his princes and men fell through his means. Um, another one from the Midrash is called Genesis Rabbah number 42. And it says that Amraphel was called by three names in the Bible. It says he was called Cush after his father's name. It says, um, that's in Genesis 10.8, says Nimrod because he established rebellion in the world and Amraphel as he declared Amar I will cast down and Apala. So that's how they kind of come up with these names. So Nimrod, let's just lay this all out. Nimrod was the, still the king of Babylon but we get this guy Ketelamer, okay? And, and it all, in the, our text today says they all served Ketelamer. So even though Nimrod was kind of this, we, we all look at Babylon as like the big imperial Babylon. Well, you have Ketelamer, who they all served. So he was kind of the big guy at the time. And our text says that they all served him for about 12 years, and then they rebelled. So if you look at this map, um, you will see where Elam is kind of way over here. That's, that's actually modern-day Iraq over there. So, or Iran, sorry. And it's kind of in that whole Iran-Iraq area. You got Tehran. You see where Tehran is, right? Right up here. So it's kind of right over in that whole Iran-Iraq area of modern-day. Um, so our text does not say this, but it's totally implied that Ketelamer had gone on one of these rampages before about 12 years ago. That's why they all serve him now. Okay? So Josephus writes um, in the Antiquities that Ketelamer was also known as the ravager, uh, ravager of the West because he was basically a pretty brutal guy that just went through that whole area and made all these people serve him. He was not a good dude. So he took what he wanted, and then basically the rest of the people, he would just enslave them. So after putting up with it for about 12 years, we, we hear in our text that we have about five cities that decide they're going to rebel against this Ketelamer guy.
So time-wise right now, just for historical reference, we're right around 2080 or so BC, right in that area. So you got the five kings of the Jordan Valley that come together to fight Ketelamer, and Ketelamer decides he's going to get three other kings to kind of join him in this battle, okay? So you got Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, uh, Zeboim, and Bela went against basically the Mesopotamian armies of uh, Elam, Shilar, or Shinar, Elisar, and Goyim, okay? So the four kings came down into that area, and they pretty much just demolished the five. So the five on the left, they just got kind of wiped out, all right? So they're driving all these people out of their native lands, and they start going out. You guys remember what the bitumen pits were? They're, they're basically tar pits, and they would use the tar. It was just natural, flowing from the ground tar. And there's, I think I had a picture, a couple pictures of them. Um, so what would happen was these people would flee, and while they're, while they're running from these people chasing them with swords and stuff, they would fall into these pits, and they'd either die in there, they get stabbed while they're in there, or they would just they would just sink into these pits. So there was there was a lot of different tragedies that would happen with these pits. Um, so basically, you had a whole bunch of deadly traps that were kind of out there in the middle of the desert. So as they fled, some of them went into the hills, some of them went into these pits. Those that were caught were made into slaves. And basically, the four kings that came down, you're like, hey, you rebelled against us. We're taking it all. So they took the possessions. They took the people. They took everything. And then they start going back to their own land. So think about Lot here. Lot is now stuck in the middle of this war that really he should have no part in. And now he's a captured slave. And I think we could all look back in our lives and look at the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. So that you had this one guy. He went off and he escaped. And he goes and he tells Abram what happened. So Abram goes off and he plans a rescue and takes 318 men with him. And to give you perspective, we had talked before about how rich Abram was. This is 318 people that were born into his household. Remember, Abram did not have any children yet. So these were 318 grown men of fighting age who were born to servants of Abram. That's a lot of children. That's a lot of servants. So now this, this guy runs up and he tells Abram what's going on. Remember, they split because of all this strife that was going on between their servants. Abram's <clears throat> sitting with his buddies drinking iced tea under the oaks, you know, the trees up in Mamre. He's just chilling. And now Abram gets drugged into this mess. Well, family's family, and as most of you know, um, 
Well, I'm sure none of you guys have ever been drug into any family issues, right? None. None of you ever. Um, so what do you, what do you do? Off Abram goes, right? He's like, fine, I'll go deal with a- I'll go deal with Lot stuff. The way that this is worded is a little confusing, so stick with me here. When when you read the text, it's very clear that Abram went to battle with 318 men, right? We also know that he brought um, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre with him because later on the king of Te- the king of Sodom tells him to share um, share the stuff with them. Did did they bring their own armies? Did they bring their own men? It, it doesn't say so. And in the text is really pretty clear on the fact that Abram led his forces. There wasn't any other people that were here. So I want you to think about this. You have you had four kings that came down and just completely wiped out five entire cities. And Abram goes chasing after him with 318 men. He's way outmanned. He's probably way outtrained. Um, but what he does is pretty, pretty ingenious here. Is first of all, he splits up all of his forces. So they kind of go around these people. And then they attack at night. It's much easier to kill people when they're sleeping, right? I mean, it just, just is. So Abram went after them. And he... he He's killing them, and, and is, these people are waking up to the sounds of swords and death and screeches and all this stuff. They, they start running off. So if you go to the next map, David, so there, it's kind of hard to see it on here. You might look better over at that one. So the kings come down this way. They're, remember, they're way over here. They come all the way up into here and go down, and they kill all this stuff down in here. Well, then they come back and they're going up on this side right here. Well, Abram is like right over in here and you can see this little line where he comes up and right up in this area, right up in Dan is where they they do all this attacking. And then he starts and it doesn't show it up on the map. It, It goes way up further north. They, he follows them all the way up there, chasing these people to kill them. See, Lot gets caught in the middle of a war that he should not have been in. And Abram had to go and bail him out and rescue him. And Aner and Eskel and Mamre, these three are just sitting there hanging out with, with Abram. And they get drug into this mess. And it's really all because the, the reality is their friend needed help. So when we look at this story, do you guys see how our decisions affect others even when we think it's just about us and how we're going to be impacted? The reality is, guys, is that we all do life together. And our decisions can drag somebody else into your mess really quick. And I, I know that we all have our pride and we say, you know, I didn't ask for your help. And, but, but not one person with a conscience could sit there and go like, well, you know, eh, he did this to himself. 
especially when they know, like Abram did, when, when you got put into slavery, it was not a good thing. What, what they did with the women and things was not good stuff. So there was, there, there was a, a point there where Abram's like, I've got to go do this. And, and the reality is, guys, is that God made us to serve each other and to protect each other. And even when we go out and we make totally stupid decisions, I, I, I know that some of us are like, well, he got himself into this mess. He, got, he can get himself out, right? And how many of you guys have heard this one? It's the, the good book says, he who helps himself and all. I'm, I'm not sure what good book people are quoting that from, but it's, it's, it's not the Bible. <laughs> it's not in there. Abram helps Lot because he should. No matter what, being there in a time of need is kind of Christianity 101. It's, it's what God put us here. We, we talked in the beginning about when we were talking about, um, about Adam and Eve and, and throughout the first four, 13 books, chapters of, of Genesis, how we're all put here as relational people. We need each other. We serve each other because we're all gifted with different things to help each other. And, and you know what? Here's the thing, guys. We don't have to know the reasons. We don't have to agree with the people that we're helping. We just need to be there and be ready to help them with, without judgment. And I know that that last part is super hard, right? I, I think all of us at some point battle with outside sources. I think sometimes we fight. Sometimes we flee. Sometimes we get stuck in the tar of life and sometimes we just give up and just become a slave to the world and it's like yeah i'd rather not fight it rather just give in and i think everyone in here has gone through probably all of those times in our life when we do and when we are i i pray that we have somebody like abram who just goes out there and deals with it even when you don't want to. But having those people around you to keep you on track or to lift you up when you fall, those people are priceless. And we all need those people. Abram didn't judge Lot or criticize his decisions. In reality, we'll read next week, he actually takes them right back over there. He just went and bailed them out from this one. And I think sometimes when we help people, we can become critical of them. And we forget in our criticism about the stupid we just did five minutes ago. But they didn't judge us on that. Being there for someone is probably the most important thing that we can do in our lives as Christians. And, and most of the time, the reality is we don't even have to say words. We just need to be there. In, in today's world of humanism, where it's all about us, we don't even pick up a phone because, well, 
It's not my problem, right? Sucks to be them. Hannah's, Hannah's favorite little saying is, no, sucks to suck. Yes, she's mine. I still claim her. It, it's, it's that attitude that, well, that's their problem. They're going to have to deal with it. Not, not my issue. But, but how do we sleep at night knowing that someone's in trouble or someone's suffering? We should have the same pained heart or the same response that Abram did here. Christianity is about serving others. It's not about being, listen carefully to this one. Christianity is about serving others. It's not about being comfortable. The travel, the time, the effort that Abram went through to help his nephew should be a lesson to all of us. We have to be willing to sacrifice ourselves for the good of other people. We get, we get a Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us as the most perfect example of selfless sacrifice. And the reality is most of us don't want to leave our couch. There's always people needing help. And I'm not telling you guys that we all have to run out there right now and save all the puppy dogs in the world. But what I am saying is that we need to do our job. We need to do our part. In the end, it requires stepping out in faith and knowing God's there. Abram ran off with 318 people to kill all of these trained soldiers of these four kings who just demolished five cities. I'm pretty sure that was in the report that the guy brought to him. But he stepped out in faith and did what was required of him. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but me personally, I'm not going to go running after a guy with a cool nickname like the Ravager of the West. I'm not purposely running after him like... Excuse me, Mr. Avenger, you, you and I need to have a talk. We, we have an issue right here. The faith to do what's right, no matter what, it, it, and it, even when the odds look bad. Abram brings them all. He wins. He brings them all down south. He brings So he takes them back down that western ridge of those mountains. Um. And he comes all the way back down into um, this area that the, the, our text calls the Valley of Shaveh. It's actually Jerusalem. It's basically that valley. And they talk about the King's Road, which is it's that road that comes straight down from Dan. It comes all the way down into Jerusalem down there. So the king of Sodom goes all the way across. And if you look back at that map... You'll see he goes all the way across that whole mountain range and south of that area to go over there to meet them, okay? Because he's grateful that his people are returned safe. So what's he offer Abram? He goes, take, take everything. Take the spoil. Take, take all the stuff. Take all the possessions. Take anything you want. Just leave me the people, right? So he's offering them, take the gold. Give them, give them everything, 
But Abram, Abram's response here is perfect because Abram does not desire to be made rich for doing the right thing. Many modern day pastors could take note here. Our service is not supposed to be about our gain. If it is, then it's not sacrifice. We're not serving, we're working. Our service is because we serve a mighty God who showed us what love is. And if you're doing it for what you earn, quite frankly, that's just sad. If you need to be bribed or paid, don't do it because your heart's not in the right spot. And I'm, I'm not saying that pastors should not be paid. That's not, that's not what I mean here. But what I'm saying is, is that if you're doing it because of money, then that's wrong. If we do something expecting compensation, then where's our heart? I mean, I think most of you guys know here, I don't, I don't get paid to do this. I do this because I, I think I'm called to do this. And, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't change our responsibility as a congregation to do what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do the service that God has called us to do. It doesn't matter whether you get paid or not. So Melchizedek, he comes out to greet Abram. And he's the high priest, the king of Salem. Um, and basically, it's basically the same area, Jerusalem. So he's, he's, the, he's the high priest of that area. And he comes out with bread and wine and he blesses Abram. And he, he shows love to Abram. And then Abram turns around and gives a tenth of everything that Abram has to this guy. First of all, it's the first example we see in Scripture of an offering given to someone aside from God. This is basically giving it to the representative of God. But, but it's, it's done because it honors, he's honoring God by doing this. In reality, I want you guys to think about what this trip cost Abram, okay? First of all, 10% of his wealth. Um, and we just talked about how much he had. He had a ton. He spent all that time chasing after Lot. I'm sure he lost some people. But his responsibility is not relevant to what he has gone through or what he has. He offers 10% to the Lord because the Lord blesses him and keeps him safe and nothing he has is apart from God anyways. We, we've talked about this before. I'm not going to beat this too bad. Our, our society is really bad on this one. Um, we talked about this before, but do you guys know that 3 2 5% of Americans tithe 10%. And people, people will say stuff like, well, you know, I don't, God understands I don't make any money. It's really difficult, blah, 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 blah. And when I, when I make more, then I'll, I'll do that. 
And the statistics, actually, when you get to 75,000 in earnings, it actually drops to 1%. So when you make more money, those people tend to pay less. I, 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 like I said, I don't get paid, so I can tell you what the Bible says, and I don't even feel bad about it. The reality is, God tells us to be faithful with what he's given us, and to me, it's a no-brainer. I'm just telling you this because we want to check our heart. So let's, let's wrap this up. Our decisions, like it or not, drag people into the middle things, in the middle of things that they were not put there to deal with. They weren't their issues to deal with, but our decisions make those things happen. Lot left Abram in a huff and, and went to what he thought was greener grass. The five kings rebelled against the four and, and demolished the whole area, and Lot was caught in the middle of that. Abram's just hanging out with his friends, and he's got to go rescue his, his nephew Lot. He does it because it's right not because of the riches. And our hearts should be on service and not on sacrifice. Every single one of us could just sit underneath a tree in Mamre and think that the whole world spinning around us is all rainbows and lollipops and sunshine. We could all act like everything's okay but here's the question that I have for you. And every single one of you has one. Did God give you the gifts that he gave you personally, individually, to sit on your tushes and not use them? And the last point is that God expects you to honor him with everything with your time, with your money, with your service, and with your love for all the people that are around you. Yes, even the ones that you may not like. Our, our love is supposed to be unconditional. Wow, oh, that's weird. My microphone just fell down in my shirt. Can you all hear me still? Huh. All right. That's, that's a good way to end it right there. Well, let's, uh, let's stand up and we'll pray. It literally is, here's, here's the good part about being